Welcome to The Debris. This is where we talk about what was left behind by Hurricane Katrina and the floods that followed. I'm your host, Eve Tro. We're coming to you from WWNO, New Orleans Public Radio. This week, we're talking about literal, real, actual debris. The stuff, the trash, the things left behind when the storm passed through and the floodwaters receded. On Elysian Fields Avenue, there's something called the ReStore. It's run by Habitat for Humanity, and it's a sort of thrift store for home furnishings, building supplies, and appliances. Walking around, you realize just how much debris we live with in our everyday lives. Things we willingly bring into our homes, then come to our senses. What is this right here? (laughs) Oh, the Ab Lounge 2. You've never seen this model. (laughs) Can you demonstrate? Yeah, for sure. Are you feeling the burn? Yeah, that's only the third rep. Let me just... There it is. That's the burn. That must be where the two comes from. Wesley Griffin is director of the New Orleans ReStore. It's been a crucial part of many post-Katrina renovations. People are coming and saying, you know, I'm still trying to make things work. I'm still getting back in my home from Katrina, whether they've come back from another city or they're just now getting back into, um, you know, into their digs from 10 years ago. Think back and picture most of the city abandoned for weeks or months. Picture an entire home's contents spilled onto the sidewalk. Everything in your house, a little mountain out front. How big do you think that would be? Now multiply that little mountain by tens of thousands of little mountains. And not just homes, businesses too, schools, office buildings. Hurricane Katrina changed our relationship with stuff. Some things became precious, that favorite book or framed photo that somehow stayed on the shelf and didn't drown. Those are trophies in many people's homes today. But it made us detach, too. In the face of death and deep devastation, all that stuff is just stuff, one way to look at it. And it also made us more conscious of waste. The Restore taps into a newfound waste-not-want-not mentality after Katrina. We've also got about 30 chairs in from the Olive Garden in Kenner. Um, They look exactly like they came from the Olive Garden in Kenner. Sometimes they don't need signage. You know exactly where it came from. The city created whole new landfills after Katrina to hold the 12 million tons of debris generated by the flood, the most waste of any disaster in U.S. history. Waste was no longer an abstract concept for anyone in New Orleans. A perfectly good used stainless steel fridge? Hey, somebody could use that. And the ReStore has it. This guy has uh, French doors. As you can see, you've got uh, drawers for crispers, for deli meats. You've got a lot of space in here. And then you've also got a bottom freezer, which also really nice. And uh, your slides are working really well on the drawers here. Funny, a refrigerator should be the thing to come up. Those became an icon after Katrina. Full of rotted food sludge by the time most people made it back... They'd tape the thing up, haul it to the curb, hopefully without leaking that toxic goo, and leave it to the trash gods. But it didn't stop there. The abandoned refrigerators of Katrina became blank slates for self-expression. Spray-painted messages popped up on the white rectangles. Katrina Leftovers Smells like FEMA. Free gumbo inside. Sir stinks a lot. 
Levy board victim. W, you forgot your lunch. Heck of a job, Brownie. Only a fool would open this. I was that fool. Love XOXO. Come back home. Catherine Kreutzer Laborde compiled a photo book of Katrina Fridges called Do Not Open. Jason Saul talked to her about what happened to those thousands of smelly boxes and how she started to document them. We, by we, I mean my sons and I, got back to New the New Orleans area right at the end of September. Um, their school was opening back up, so we came back. We'd been evacuated for about a month. And um, on the first day that they were going to school, I took them to, what, Krispy Kremes, because it was open. It's one of the few places open. Took them there, and while I was there, I noticed this refrigerator that was across uh, Clearview Highway, um, and it said, Lindsay, I love you. So I came back after I dropped them off to school. I came back to look at it again because I thought I must be out of my mind. Why would I read a fridge that said that? And I went around the block several times. I was so shocked by this refrigerator. I was in a state of shock anyway. I mean, it was after the storm. I'd been away from my home for a month. I saw that. And then I started to notice, wait, here's another refrigerator with a message. And here's something else. I was able to find a drugstore that was open, and I bought, for some reason, black and white film. I just sort of had this sense that if refrigerators were going to have messages on them, I wanted to capture them in black and white so that the only emphasis was on the words themselves, you know. And the refrigerators were really um, kind of like a common denominator. Um, Not everybody had flood water, but most of the people had been kept out of town for a substantial period of time, and their homes had lost power. So when you take a refrigerator and it's filled with food and there's no power... Well, the food's going to rot, and these people came home. Even if there had not been a scratch to the house, you would go in, and there was a refrigerator, and it was filled with rotting food. It was the most vile thing on the face of the planet, and every <laughs> single house on every single block smelled like that. It did. It was... It was um, I could still smell it. I could still smell it right now. <laughs> it's just lodged in my subconscious. He's having a moment. <laughs> New Orleans is, more so than a city in the south, more the northernmost city in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And other cities in the Caribbean tend to have monumental representations of death, above-ground tombs, which, of course, are are not for the water table, because whenever there's a flood, they don't actually help. Right. (laughs) Right. And one of the uh, most interesting things I noticed, it was interesting and it was also creepy at the same time, was that uh, there was um, a period of a few months that almost any street you turned down... You would look down the street and it would look like um, a little lane in a cemetery because we do have these wonderful above-ground crypts and tombs that are tall. And the refrigerators, especially as they were standing on curbsides and angled in these jaunty ways and facing this way and the other way, really made the streets resemble uh, a lane in a cemetery. So how many refrigerators were there? With the refrigerators, you had three different types of um, trash within one refrigerator. You had the hulk of it, okay? You had the Freon that had to be taken out and the oil, 
because it's oil that's used to run the compressor in each refrigerator. And then there's also all the different containers, like the little egg thing and the little drawers. All that stuff had to come out as well, the rubber that would seal. The contractors just couldn't pick up any old refrigerator, okay? There was monitoring going on. If you're a contractor who was hired for north of the I-10, you could not pick up anything from south of the I-10. So the way this played out is you would see a lot of refrigerators besides the markings that said empty full or my refrigerator broke my heart or whatever the thing is. You would see things that were marked like E22 or TFC or things like that. And these were the contractors marking like they're saying this is ours. They would bring them to the specific dump and they would be checked in. And then what they would do is they would line them up okay kind of like rows it almost looked like a farm of refrigerators okay the people who were making like 10 to 12 dollars an hour would clean those out and of course they had the hazmat on they've got their 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 noses blocked it is absolutely disgusting work they would wrap them like uh humongous disgusting burritos okay they put them in these gigantic plastic sheets and then they taped them up and then they fit with all the rotting stuff and then that rotting stuff went into a landfill that was lined so it would not leach out okay so they did that i guess here locally yes there were three different um, so there's the gentilly landfill there's gentilly there's one in i want to say camp villery which is in slidell and there's one around um out off uh jefferson highway in boutique Okay, we had like, um, we moved up like 4,000, 6,000 fridges a day. Um, and eventually it came down to, they had to bring in even more balers because we had a 12,000 fridge a day load of these refrigerators being squashed, okay? Did they leave the refrigerators in the landfills or did they recycle the metal? What they did was they, um, the material was sent to Southern Scrap Metal, which was, uh, at the time, it was located in Baton Rouge after Katrina, and the bales were stockpiled for shredding. Once they were shredded, then they were recycled. So all those refrigerators were recycled. Catherine Kreutzer Laborde on the refrigerators of Katrina. Now, if you were a homeowner after Katrina, maybe you hauled out your fridge, then gutted your flooded house, and then boarded it all up, waiting for the money to come together to fix it, while you took a job, found an apartment somewhere else. Well, that was all well and good, except the grass. No way to board up the lawn and keep it from growing. Overgrown lots complicated the post-Katrina landscape. Knee-high grass fosters pests, rodents, not to mention people using it as an informal dumping site. Fail to cut your grass and the city could cite you. The first step in, eventually perhaps, seizing your property. A real concern for the absentee homeowner after the storm. Blaine and Shelley Dennison started a business based on this need. The parents of four children, their home also flooded. But they bought a lawnmower and a truck and started taking calls to cut grass. I caught up with them a few years ago out on the job. Normally I do the cutting and he does all the weed eating. It's not just okay, so I have a pretty yard to look at. If your grass is high, you have a better chance of having rats and mice. You got puddles of water sitting in places to where you have mosquitoes.
finding debris all over the place. This stuff from the workers and everything. Uh, some old concrete uh, fence posts. We wind up cleaning up after a, 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 lot, <laughs> a lot of other people. But that's our job. Stumbled across a lawnmower for free from a friend of ours and uh, ran ads on Craigslist and, you know, internet sites like that and just really grew by itself. And um, we started out with one main area. That way it kept our budget low, but the more phone calls we got in from people saying, I can't find a lawn care company to service my area, that's what made us venture out. And then we got started with Lakeview and New Orleans East and the Ninth Ward because our original intention was not to go out there. We even went as far as St. Bernard did lawn care out there. We know what the property looks like. We know if something's been moved and we'll let the owner know. We've had a lot of people call us saying, hey, look, I've got a notice on my door. I need lawn care because the parish or the state is fining me because my grass isn't cut. And they plan to come back, but they're not back yet because they don't have the financial means. I, I like being able to work for myself. I have, we have four children together. And um, now that we work together, we're home together with our kids. We now live in Kenner. We lost our home in Metairie during the storm. So we, uh, we lost everything we had, but we started over from scratch, and here we are. Blaine and Shelley, also known as Quick and Clean Lawn Care, helping homeowners hang on a few years after the storm. Plenty of grassroots businesses started after Katrina, and plenty of grassroots movements, too. Have you ever wondered what happened to all that debris from Hurricane Katrina? This 2008 report from PBS NewsHour highlights one of the most contentious incidents in post-Katrina New Orleans. Much of it was taken to two landfills in New Orleans. One of them was built just a mile from a Vietnamese community in New Orleans East. In the rush to get New Orleans cleaned up and ready for rebuilding, the city created an emergency landfill to collect those mountains of waste. The state's Department of Environmental Quality quickly signed off on a permit. All of this came as a shock to the large Vietnamese community in New Orleans East. They lived right next to the proposed landfill and used water from a nearby canal to maintain their gardens mostly grown for food. Nobody had asked them before putting a landfill next door. Reverend Vien Nguyen is the pastor of Mary Queen of Vietnam Church in New Orleans East. In 2008, he talked to the historic New Orleans collection about fighting to keep the landfill out of his community. I went to the house hearing. I was so angry because it was, it was already a done job. The guy who sat, on, on the, who sat as chair... He didn't care what I have to say, and he just basically didn't want to hear what we have to say. Eventually, his congregation and the environmental organizers who helped took the city to court and won. The landfill was shut down, and the Vietnamese community of New Orleans East is thriving, held up as an example of post-storm tenacity today. And that's where we'll put down this piece of Katrina debris thinking about where our trash goes and who it affects. You can find our podcast every week through the end of August on iTunes or use the podcast app on your smartphone. Just search for WWNO and Katrina the Debris. Our producer is Kate Richardson. Digital director is Jason Saul. Paul Mawson is general manager of WWNO. 
Katrina the Debris is produced here in New Orleans. If you like it, you want to hear more, consider giving to support New Orleans Public Radio. You can do that at WWNO.org. Support also comes from Dirty Coast Press. Learn more about their locally designed and produced products, dirtycoast.com. I'm your host, Eve Tro, for WWNO New Orleans Public Radio. Until next time, be well, be good, be safe, and thanks. Thank you.